Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right, the struggle is real. Going through the book of 1 Peter, and it's uh, my pleasure to be ministering. We're going to jump off into the uh, book covering uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 12, and we'll be taking the next eight weeks to go through the book uh, expositorily. Uh, So we basically are looking at it verse by verse. Worked perfectly for a service. There we go, okay. So um, one of the issues that we're uh, facing is that contemporary culture is often contrary to the Christian faith. And there's times in history where the culture has been kind of running along a parallel track. In other words, a very similar um, uh, society, very similar morals, very similar ethics. But for most of history, there's conflict between Christianity and the culture that we find ourselves living in. It certainly was the case when this letter was written to the early Christians because they were suffering persecutions. The, the people that this letter is addressed to had been driven out of their homeland and had been dispersed into this other region. And we'll be talking more about that in a few minutes. But even in our day, uh, there is persecution. In fact, in our day, there's more people martyred for their faith than in all of history. So often we think that martyrdom is something that happened long ago. In actuality, more people are martyred for their faith, in, for their Christian faith, today <clears throat> than in any other time. And I've actually met some of these people who have suffered severely. Uh, associate, uh, part of our network in Ukraine lost everything because of his faith and in this conflict. One of the unspoken uh, aspects of the, uh, uh, the war in Ukraine is that they are targeting evangelical Christians because they see that the evangelical Christians represent a uh, uh, United States or an American agenda. And so they just automatically, even though they're not, they're completely Ukrainian, they speak Russian, but they are targeted. And so this, uh, this uh, person I've met, uh, I can't quite call him a friend, but an associate, was driven from his home. He had a fantastic church that was experiencing incredible revival. Thousands of people coming from all over Russian-speaking, uh, former Soviet Union, to uh, that city for many years. But because of this conflict, they lost everything, and he's now living as a refugee. And um, uh, we as a network minister to people in Syria who have been tortured and killed because of their faith, as well as Iran and Iraq and other nations like that. So in many places throughout the world, in the Far East, in the Near East, in Africa, people suffer tremendously for our faith. We're even seeing it here in our day. And this is one reason why we're looking through this letter, because it's Peter's advice to Christians living in a culture that's contrary to their faith and with the very real potential of facing persecution. It's first century advice for 21st century life. One thing that we're going to kind of point out and focus on in today's section, verses 1 through 12, that I, it really just jumped out 
and so I'm going to kind of make it the theme of today's message, and I'd like you to consider this. Maybe it's something you've never thought of before, but salvation really spans all three tenses. In other words, salvation is something that, uh, 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 that's happened. In, there's a past a- aspect of salvation. There's a present tense salvation, and there's a future tense salvation. And we're just going to explain this as we uh, talk through the uh, book of First Peter. Um, again, expositorial preaching is taking each verse and just kind of pulling out different aspects. If it was uh, up to me, <clears throat> I would have at least a week, possibly a month for each verse. <laughs> so that for me to preach through 12 verses in one Sunday, as first service learned, uh, is a stre- stretch. <laughs> so I need to talk faster. All right. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those re- uh, who reside as aliens scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. All right, just as the opening uh, verse. And uh, because I, along with uh, a few others from the church here, did a mission trip in this region, we were actually in this place less than two years ago. This picture we're looking at here is a, is a panoramic view of the area of Cappadocia that was inhabited by people who read this letter. Uh, and it was uh, quite a, a popular place to live then. Um, now it's mainly a tourist site. There are still people living here, and there are still people living in the caves, and you can see some of those caves. The, the, the rocks formations were of a certain type of uh, stone that was easily carved, and so they would have uh, quite ornately carved uh, um, uh, living places uh, in these rock, and they still do. There's a hotel you can say that's made out of completely out of rock. Here it's kind of hard to see, but... Uh, you can see the ornate carvings. This was an entrance to a church, and there were quite a few churches that you could go into. And in these churches, they had frescoes and, and paintings of the story of the gospel and biblical scenes depicted. And so uh, for all these years, the gospel actually has been presented uh, and is still presented in these historical sites. Um, so <clears throat> one more picture here. Um, here we are taking a hike, and a lot of the, the doorways were uh, uh, many, many feet up uh, to protect against invasion, and uh, they were able to live safely and resisted many attacks. And here I am inside one of the, uh, the caves. But the, as you can see, it was quite a nice little cave. It was actually... Uh, uh, squared out in a living room size, and they had shelves and places for water. They had ventilation uh, uh, shafts. Uh, one uh, area that was called an underground city it had eight stories. Uh, so you go from one, you know, down eight levels below ground uh, that uh, was inhabited by hundreds, thousands of people, whole civilizations lived there. And they were all Christian. Uh, that uh, lived. And, uh, at the time of the letter, they weren't Christian, but this whole region became Christianized. And so uh, the, the point of all of this is that uh, when Peter wrote the letter, these people had been driven out of their homeland, Jerusalem and, and Judea, because of persecution and went to this other, these other lands, Galatia, which is another region north of Cappadocia, part of present-day Turkey, and they were living in that area. But eventually, because they lived what was taught uh, the, and what we're going to learn in this letter, 
they actually overcame the world, and that region of the world, which was formerly known as Armenia, became the first Christian nation on planet Earth. Before the Roman Empire became Christianized, they declared that they were a Christian nation and, uh, and was a Christian nation for many, many hundreds of years. <clears throat> And so, I, uh, while I was in, shortly before I, I was, that picture was taken, I, I, I was uh, able to stand next to this tour group, and they were going, th- uh, you know, a formal tour. We didn't take the tour. We just kind of, you just, I've learned that if you just stand next to the group, you can hear everything, and you don't have to pay for the tour. <laughs> so one of the people that had taken the tour said, you know, we see all these Christian de- uh, uh, depictions of, uh, of the Christian story in Bible scenes. Uh, they were like, w- w- where did all the Christians go? And the Turkish tour guide, he probably didn't know any better because they don't teach us in Turkey, but uh, what the, Turkey, the tour guide said was, well, they were all Greeks, and uh, they left. And I was like, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not quite how it happened. I didn't say anything. Obviously, I had to be careful. Because uh, what actually happened was 100 years ago this year, okay, 100 years ago, this is the 100th anniversary of the Armenian genocide in which between 800,000 and 1.5 million Armenians were killed simply because they were Christian. Okay, and uh, the Turkish government uh, hasn't acknowledged it, but uh, pretty much is, is well known. In fact, the word genocide was invented to describe what the Ottoman Empire did to this Armenian ethnic group that was uh, completely Christian. And, and those who weren't killed were driven out. In fact, in first service, we had a guest, and he said, I'm Armenian, and my grandparents were driven out. And uh, uh, fortunately, his grandparents survived, but uh, were driven out of the, the country. <clears throat> and just a few weeks ago, I met a man whose father was killed in, in, the, in, the, in the genocide. He's a very old man, uh, a Russian Orthodox priest. <clears throat> so here we have uh, an example from history of uh, a land that was persecuted, suffering persecution, Christians suffering persecution, living in a land, overcoming that persecution to the point where they become the dominant civilization. But then over the course of many, many years, hundreds of years, that domination, that changes, and the cultural tide changes, and then they become persecuted again. And so that ebb and flow of persecution and cultural conflict is just, is just the nature of, his, of history and the nature of Christianity. And it's something that we're experiencing today and that we're seeing the eroding of the Christian influence in our day. And so we need to turn to the advice of the first century uh, to learn how to resist and to overcome. There we are praying for revival to come. So let's go through this, uh, uh, these verses. Peter's advice. And I, I find this, it's the introduction to the letter. And so he just rapid fires a lot of information at us, and I'm going to try to unpack some of it and draw our attention to certain aspects of it. He starts out saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens who are chosen. Mark did a great job last week talking through the history of the book, the authorship of the book, and talking a lot about uh, who the book was written to. So I'm not going to jump, uh, I'm not going to talk much about that. And what I'd like to get to is what Peter addresses. And what he addresses initially right off the bat is that he begins speaking to the issue of identity. All right? 
identity as aliens according to the world, but as chosen according to God. In the world, Christians are outcasts or outsiders, or as Mark aptly uh, used the analogy, we're mutants. Okay, <clears throat> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, so we're, we're, we're the outcast when we look at how we fit in the world system. But in God, and this is the important part, and this is the emphasis that Peter is uh, making, is that in God we're chosen. And this word chosen is very, very, very important because it's coming from Peter. Peter is a Jew, right? He walked with Jesus. He was raised in the Jewish culture. And that term chosen or the term elect was the word that was always used for thousands of years referring to the people of Israel. God's chosen people. We still say that. Israel's God's chosen people. Chosen. They were elect by God. But Peter takes that term and says, you know what? That now applies to every Christ follower. Every Christ follower is chosen. And what that means is that even though we are aliens when we look at how we relate to the world or how the world looks at us, we belong to God. We have a place where we fit in, where we are chosen, we are elect. Uh, Jesus <clears throat> comments on this conflict between the world and living Christ-like uh, when he talks to his disciples in John verse 16. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. So our peace is in Christ. In the world you will have tribulation. And tribulation means crushing opposition, <laughs> right? It literally means being ground into powder. And so that experience of tribulation is one of the promises of Scripture. <laughs> All right, maybe not one of the ones we like to cling to, but it's true. But Jesus said this so that we would have peace. When? When we start experiencing tribulation. Oh, this is something Jesus said. And we can have peace, not in the world necessarily, but in him. Why? Because he overcame the world. He overcame the world. So according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So in one sense, this is just the introduction to the letter. But boy... Peter packs in a lot of truth in this one phrase, all right? All three of the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity, are mentioned in this, in this section. In the first 12 verses, the Father's mentioned twice, the Holy Spirit's mentioned three times, and Jesus, in just eight verses, is mentioned, I'm sorry, in 12 verses, is mentioned eight times. And this is where I'm gonna, we're going to see how there's a past tense, present tense, and future tense to our salvation our Father, according to the foreknowledge of the, our Father, our Father had a plan. All right? A plan was in place. And isn't what, that's what fathers are supposed to have, right? You know? Kids don't know what's going on. Dad knows what's going on. Right? And Dad's like, no, this is what we're doing. You know? And, and that's kind of like what it is with God. He had a plan. Okay. Children made a mistake. Ended up sinning, get in the terrible situation. Father's got a plan. 
He's got a way that he's going to rescue us. And so that happened in the past. In fact, in one place in the Bible, it says uh, the Lamb of God, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. And so God had a plan that goes all the way back to the beginning. A plan for what? A plan for rescue. A plan for our salvation. So that's a past tense aspect of salvation. And then it refers to the sanctifying work, that's present tense, of the Spirit. And this work of the Spirit, that's present tense, is, is elaborated on. Uh, Peter explains a little bit what he's referring to. And, he, and it says, to obey Jesus Christ. So this present tense uh, salvation, present tense aspect of our salvation, is to bring us into obedience to Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to teach you, to empower you, to live in right relationship, to live obedient to Christ. And one of the things it's important to understand is that in the Bible, in the biblical culture, in the, in the Hebrew culture, and in the Hebrew language especially, uh, the, and really in the whole of Scripture, the word obey and the, the idea in the word for obey and the idea in the word for believe is synonymous. In our culture, we can believe one thing, but not obey it. All right? We can believe something to be true, but it doesn't really affect our behavior. All right? And that's kind of a modern-day uh, normal. I believe that exercise is good for me. I believe wholeheartedly that I should exercise every day, but I don't do it. All right? Yeah, how many are in my boat? All right. <clears throat> you know, I know certain things are not healthy for me, but I still do them. All right? And so my, there's, a, there's a conflict between what I, what I believe and obey. But this word, obey and believe, it, it's, it's in, and in their mind, and, and in order for us to understand what Peter is talking about in the sanctifying work of uh, the Holy Spirit, he's saying, listen, you just live in right relationship that you behave like Jesus would behave. That's what obeying Jesus means. Is that you just do what Jesus did. You live Christ-like. That's obeying Jesus. But, and he adds in this other term, it says being sprinkled with his blood. Well, that's kind of a wacky idea. Right? We're not used to that in our day. When's the last time you've been sprinkled with blood? Right? Hopefully never. <laughs> But in this culture that he was writing to, everyone understood this, especially if they were Jews, because that was a, a really holy and powerful part of the ceremony of the Old Covenant when the animal was, was slain, and the animals in the Old Covenant were slain in, in, in a future expectation of the Messiah that would come. And so the shedding of that blood was prophetically looking forward to Jesus' blood coming, being shed. They didn't know that during the Old Testament, but it's all there, and now we, we see it revealed. <clears throat> and so uh, they had seen that happen when they went to the temple to worship, because these people were mostly people that lived in Jerusalem and, and probably had seen that. And so, uh, and even if they hadn't, if they were pagans, if they, they were, if they were uh, Gentile believers that had been converted, they had seen blood animal sacrifices because it was common in almost all of the pagan religions. You know, it's still common today in most parts of the world. Uh, I've had friends that have gone to different countries and witnessed animal sacrifices, and, and, and so they still practice it in many religions. <laughs> 
And so this idea of the sprinkling of blood communicates something very important and something they understood. And that was that the shedding of innocent blood, was, it was through that that your guilt and shame was removed. That innocent blood being shed rem- took the penalty of your sin away from you because the innocent took the punishment for your sin. And when he says the sprinkling of his blood, that was a powerful image uh, that invoked a powerful image in everyone who read that. And even more powerfully is that most of these people probably had seen someone crucified. Whether they saw Jesus crucified or not, they probably had seen the Romans crucified because the Romans crucified thousands and thousands of people. And so this is invoking a very powerful image about Jesus as the Lamb of God being shed, that his blood was shed and sprinkled so that we can be cleansed of our sin so that we can live obediently, so that we can live Christ-like. That's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And the result of that is grace and peace in fullest measure. So we experience that grace, the power to live right, and the, uh, uh, the abundant peace that comes by uh, being uh, in right relationship with God to the fullest measure because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, which is present tense. Folks, this is what we're supposed to be experiencing right now. And this is what Christians experience right now. This is what the, 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 the people that Paul, uh, Peter was writing to were experiencing right now. Uh, and it's available. It's available to you to the same degree as, as it was available to them. Right? Same Holy Spirit. Same Jesus, same faith. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter continues to go through and talk about identity. Uh, So he, he introduced our identity and then he elaborates more first on the identity of God. As Christians, again, growing up in a Christian uh, uh, saturated culture, the uh, calling God fathers is not uncommon. But for people in Peter's day, this was a radical, radical departure from what they had uh, been taught and what they had grown up hearing. To think of Jesus as your intimate father was just, was just, was it just altered their whole view of Scripture, of God, of themselves. And, and so Peter is emphasizing that the distinguishing definition, the word that he chooses to describe God first and foremost is Father. All right? And so the identity of God as Father is, is, is transformational. And then he talks about who Christ is, who Jesus is. First of all, he's God the Son. So the, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the God the Son. But he also uses two other very important words. It's really the gospel. It's, it's the message of Christianity kind of condensed into one sentence. Uh, the, the blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Lord means ultimate authority. So blessed be God, Father, and Jesus Christ, Lord, ultimate authority. And he's the Christ. Christ is the word, the Greek word for the anointed one. The Hebrew word would have been Messiah. So there's no doubt in Peter's mind 
that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that the whole of the Old Testament was looking forward to. There was no question in Peter's mind that Jesus Christ was ultimate authority, undisputed authority, because he calls him that right off the bat. And he's saying, this is, this is, we bless God, our Father. We have relationship with God as Father. And we have relationship with Jesus as Lord and as Messiah Christ. But then he goes on to talk more about how we fit in, how you fit in to this uh, relationship. What's our identity? Well, we're born again, children of God, all right, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Wow, you know what that means? <clears throat> that means that like Jesus is God's son, we get in on that same level of relationship. Yeah. Wow. Jesus as God the son enables us, you and I, to come into sonship or to come into relationship so that we can call God Father just as Jesus calls God the Father. It doesn't mean we're equal with Jesus. He is Lord in Christ. But we're, we're, we have the same relationship. We are adopted into this family. And this truth gives us living hope. All right? That's the future tense. Hope. We don't hope for something we have. We hope for something that's coming, right? But it's a hope that's alive. And it's based on the resurrection. Uh, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, the, the message of the resurrection was so central to what the early church preached that when Paul went to uh, certain uh, Roman cities, they actually thought that he, the name of the God he was preaching was resurrection. Because right? he so emphasized the resurrection. And here we see Peter within the first, third, uh, first phrase, really, of his letter bring to the point that our living hope is founded on the historical truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. All right? So our hope is rooted in history. Resurrection. Jesus actually died. He rose from the dead, all right? It's li lived out in the present because the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, leading us into Christ-like life, obedience and forgiveness and grace and peace. And it's looking forward to the promised salvation of the future when Christ returns, all right? Sound good? Verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So a few things about this. <clears throat> How many have ever received an inheritance? I, I, I received an inheritance. Remember that black pickup truck I used to drive? That little S10? That was my dad's. <clears throat> so didn't pay a penny for it, but it... Most expensive truck I ever got. So my dad had to die, you know, it was an inheritance. Give me some money too, that was nice. Uh, an inheritance is great. You don't earn an inheritance, do you? Right? If you inherit something, that means it's received because of a relationship you have with the person who, who died. Right? And so the whole idea of salvation as being this, this gift, it's an inheritance. It is, it is communicated in this one simple word that we have an inheritance. All of this enables us to obtain 
an inheritance from our Father, and that this inheritance is unlike anything else in this world. That pickup truck, I don't know what happened to it. I gave, I gave it away to somebody because it didn't work for like a year, and I said, yeah, sure. And, uh, uh, right? Every, that car, whatever car you drove to get to church, it's not going to last forever. It's going to break down. It's going to end up as rust, right? Our bodies, you know, as much as we do take care of them, they're not going to last forever. We're going to die. You're going to die. All right? <laughs> you know, maybe Jesus will come back. And then whatever you experience then will be just as intense. All right? <laughs> this building is not imperishable. Everything in this world is perishable. Everything in this world becomes defiled. But our inheritance, our new nature that we obtain because of Jesus' resurrection, because of the sprinkling of blood, this salvation that Peter's talking about, this is undefiled and imperishable. It's never gonna, it's never gonna fail. All right? And that's the future hope. It's reserved. It, it, our living hope uh, uh, of our secure future is what changes our life today. And I wish I could actually illustrate this by uh, 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 giving somebody something like this. But let's just say you're, you come home and your spouse says, hey, honey, guess what? Uh, we, just, we just won the sweepstakes that we entered into and we have a month-long uh, cruise, a Mediterranean cruise, full month on, completely paid for, balcony room, Right? All the food, all the activities. We're going to see the whole of the Mediterranean. We're going to see Greece, Europe, you know, uh, Italy, and, and all those, all those uh, countries. Uh, and would you be excited about that? Yeah. How many want that? Okay, let's say if, if that was reserved. Hey, we have reservations. It's already paid for. Would it change how you felt now, even though that was in the future? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When we, when we plan a vacation, we plan out when we're going to tell our kids so that they have the right amount of time to have expectation. You know, if you do it too soon and things fall through, then they have disappointment. When you do it, you know, when it's for sure, and it's just, we always time it out because that part of that expectation is some of the funnest part. It's like, we're going to Disney World, yeah, right? <clears throat> and so that, that little kind of example of expectation, living with an expectation is what Peter's talking about, what God is trying to communicate. And this is significant because it's this that enables us to overcome opposition and persecution and trial. All right? What? Because we know we have a reservation that cannot be revoked. A reservation that's already paid for. And it's a reservation not just for a month-long cruise, but for an eternal existence that is without defilement and imperishable. And it's reserved in heaven. And heaven means with God. This is something God's got. Like, like Dan said, God's got this. God has your future. Regardless of what happens between now and then, it is secure in heaven with God. <clears throat> who are protected, speaking again, of us, protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So here it is clearly in Scripture talking about a salvation that is to come. 
And so there's an aspect of salvation that has been accomplished, both in the foreknowledge and the foreplan of God, that has been accomplished when Christ died on the cross. What did he say? It is, yeah, it's done, right? But then there's an aspect of salvation that occurs in the present. That's that sanctifying work. It's a place where we have to come into right relationship with God. We have to receive it. And then there's an aspect of salvation that we're waiting for, that the fulfillment of we don't have yet. And that's okay. That actually gives us hope, right? And the first century Christians had this hope and this joy as a result of that. And it's all through faith. It says we're protected by the power of God through faith. Say through faith. Through faith. through faith. through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So that past salvation, the present salvation, and the future salvation, really it's all kind of like channeled through or hinged on our faith. And what's faith? Faith is something that's given to us, right? Even faith. Grace, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It's a free gift of God. Does that mean everybody's just going to go to heaven? What are you going to do? You got to take it. So if I had a gift, I wish I had a $100 bill. But we didn't have any $100 bills. As a matter of fact, I never have a $100 bill. I, what would I do with a $100 bill? <laughs> I'd lose it. No. <laughs> I'd spend it. I'm good at spending money. I'm not good at saving money. So I do have a $10 bill, <clears throat> which is like a $100 bill. It's only missing a zero. And zero doesn't, you know, has no value at all, right? So it's just as good as a hundred. Well, let's just call it a $1,000 bill. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> So if I had, so this, if I gave this as a gift, right, if I gave this as a gift, but she didn't take it, (laughs) would it benefit her? I was going to give it back. You're going to give it back, right? So if she takes it, it still hasn't benefited her, has it? When will it benefit her? When she uses it, she gives it away since she makes somebody else happy. But she spends it and buys like a coffee. What do you buy with ten dollars anymore? Donuts. Donuts. <laughs> you can you can buy a lunch at a cheap restaurant. <laughs> all right. Well, when you spend it, then you have the benefit of it. All right. Okay. Same thing with faith. God can give it, but if you don't take it, you're not going to get the benefit. And if you don't put it to use, you're not going to see any benefit. Right? And so faith is our part of the equation. Faith is our part of the relationship. God's got all of the faith and the grace that is needed for your salvation. And he's not only ready to give it, he's already given it. So many people live their life and they never grab hold of it. Grab hold of it. Grab hold of it. Don't live a day without grabbing hold of that faith. Right? Because it's that faith that enables you to experience the power of God's salvation. And it says, Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice. And I love this. These first Christian century uh, Christians uh, had lost everything. They were driven out of their country. They had lost their homes, their jobs, whatever. And yet they're greatly rejoicing. And he's not telling them to rejoice. He's commending them for rejoicing. Because even though they're suffering a little bit for a little while, if necessary, 
uh, and, and, uh, and being distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory uh, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, uh, it's talking about enduring in the present trials so that we can experience a glory at the returning of Jesus Christ. And we rejoice regardless of the current circumstances because of our new identity. Because we're chosen. We're born again. Presently protected. And we're promised a future hope. And the, those truths have the power to overcome every opposition, every obstacle, every trial. And listen, I, you know, I haven't been threatened. Well, it, You know, it's not common in our day to be, you know, threatened with our life, right? Chances are nobody here is going to lose their job. It might happen. Our culture's shifting pretty radically now, and something bad might happen. But there's people in other countries that, you know, got beheaded because they were a Christian just a few weeks ago, right? Uh, <clears throat> but the truth is, we all have a struggle, and that struggle is real. And just because someone struggles, you know, it's like, we have some friends that both the dad and the mom are they got cancer and they're one's in one state and the other one's in, in Michigan and it's like oh my gosh they have a bunch of kids and they're both suffering cancer like, that that problem's really bad and it makes my problem seem really minor but you know what? I still have problems does that make sense and so each and every one of us has struggles and has trials that uh we need to apply this verse to. And the first century Christians gave us an example of intense trials that they were able to rejoice greatly through. All right, so yeah, right now, you know what? We're going through trials. And this may mess with your theology a little bit, but, uh, and I haven't quite figured this out. Some people, you know, think they have it figured out, but I just think it's true. It's, it's trials prove faith. Trials enable us to demonstrate if we're living in, in a relationship that produces love and joy, or if we're not, you know? And uh, difficulties are opportunities to demonstrate great joy if our joy is not based on our circumstance, but rather based on our love relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? All right, and that's really the introduction to this whole letter is how to respond. He's going to go through and talk about a lot of different uh, ways to respond to different trials. But my question to you is, what is being produced by you, the fire of your trial? Whatever it is. Maybe it's economic difficulty. Maybe it's stress between uh, family members. Maybe it's physical illness. Uh, who knows? It's different for each one of us. But allow that difficulty, that trial, that struggle to produce joy because out of it you respond, not, out, uh, not reacting to the circumstance, but responding out of your true identity and responding in keeping in mind that you have a reservation <laughs> waiting for you that's going to be eternal and it's going to be with Jesus. All right, a couple more verses. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go through it. You're going to go through it. <laughs> you can leave if you want. <laughs> this is one of those trials. <laughs> Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
I love this. And though you do not see him now, you believe him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, Peter is no doubt remembering the time when Jesus appeared to him and the other disciples after the resurrection. And Thomas had uh, doubted. And he said, I won't believe unless I see it myself, unless I see the hand, his hands. And so Jesus shows up and says, hey, Thomas. Talk to the hand. Uh, <laughs> and Thomas you know, falls to his knee, knees and confesses that Jesus is his Lord. And uh, Jesus responds and says, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. And, and, and Peter's referring to that when he writes to these Christians because they hadn't seen Jesus. In one sense, they had a faith that was uh, more excellent than Peter's because Peter saw it. And he's commending them of their faith. But you know what? That applies to you. You, come on. We're 2,000 years down the road and you're sitting here because you believe this. All right? Because you have an inheritance. Because you're chosen. Because you're, you're elect. All right? And because you have this, you have access to inexpressible joy. You know? Christian's joy is bound up with love to Jesus. Its ground is faith. It is not, therefore, either self-seeking or self-sufficient. In other words, our joy is rooted in our love relationship with Jesus. And that uh, produces this inexpressible, this joy that goes beyond uh, the ability to understand with our our natural mind. It it gives us a joy that enables us to persevere through difficult situations. He says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of that grace which would come to you made careful searches and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glory to follow. So Peter ties in the whole Old Testament here. Really carefully, really quickly, he pulls in and says, listen, all those prophets of old were prophesying about this salvation. What salvation? This past, present, future salvation that we're talking about. This salvation that you have. This salvation that is rooted in love and expressed with joy. The whole of the Old Testament, really, this salvation is the subject of the whole story. All right? And uh, it's, it's, the question is, how has this salvation affected you? Is it producing evidence in your life that others can see like it did in those first uh, century Christians? It says, it was revealed to them <clears throat> that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you. You can come up if you want. Uh, it was revealed, so Peter's still talking about the prophets, that uh, they were not serving themselves. It wasn't, so all of those prophecies has, had relevance back in the day that they prophesied them, and, and they have a place in understanding all of that. But the real purpose for all of that in the Old Testament, all of those prophetic words, really were speaking about us. It says uh, they were not serving themselves, but you. And so Peter was saying, It was addressed to you, the people he wrote his letter to. But you know what? That's you, because you're now the people he wrote the letter to, right? Because you are now the Christians who have been dispersed, even further out than Galatia and Cappadocia, right? We are at the ends of the earth, all right? It says, um, 
in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels long to look at. And so this teaches us tremendous about, about how Peter understood and interpreted Scripture and how we should. That <clears throat> this whole book is about you. And it's about now. It's about you. It's a, look to somebody else and say, this is about you. So if it's about them, you know what? That means it's about me, right? right? So do you say, this Bible's about me. Is that, is that what the Bible is saying here or not? Is that what Peter is saying? Is that everything that was prophesied, he said, it wasn't for themselves, it was for you. In these things which now have been announced to you, to those who preach the gospel to you. I'm preaching the gospel to you. You're hearing the same message. I'm just repeating the message. It's now about you, and it's now about now. All right? I think that's amazing. All right? Because the whole story, it's not, Christianity is not about historical facts. Just, you know, some abstract information. It's about you, and it's about now. And you're part of the story. And so we're drawn into the story. And uh, I'm just going to close up. One more. It's about you now. So let's stand up. It's about you being chosen. Being the elect. It's about you knowing your identity. Okay. The world sees you as aliens outcasts, that's fine. Because you respond out of the love, out of being chosen, out of being sons and daughters. It's about faith that's been given and received. It's about what's being produced and the trials that you're enduring. It's about the inexpressible joy that is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never made the decision that, that it's just, if you've lived as though, well, maybe it's true or, or, or maybe it's a good idea, but I'm not good enough. Uh, you know, it's never about being good enough because it's an inheritance. It's about being in relationship. And God did everything in his power to restore relationship with you when he sent Jesus Christ to die on that cross. That sprinkling of blood is about being cleansed from sin and shame. No one goes to hell because of sin. All right? Because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. So if you end up eternally separated from God, it's not because of any sin you've done. It's because you haven't received the free gift. You haven't entered into that relationship that God's given you free. Does it make sense? And it's when you receive that that then you you get the power to obey. You get the power to live like Christ. And that transformation, that's the sanctification. That's the salvation. That's present tense. And we await for that day when we see it in full. When all the remnants of this fallen, broken world are are washed away.